I am so excited to have a friend in the studio. You were my alderman at yes. one point in time, Helen Schiller. <laughs> Welcome to WGN. You've been here before. I don't know if you've been in these studios. I was actually in the studio with Paul Lesnick. Who? Paul Lesnick. I've heard of him. I, I don't know. His name keeps coming up on this show, and that's rather unfortunate. But it's fortunate. Well, anyway, so I was here in an interview with him, and now I'm here with you. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. The name of the book is called Daring to Struggle, Daring to Win. I don't know exactly where we begin here. I'll just kind of jump in there. I had no idea that in Uptown, which is much of the 46th Ward, it extends beyond that, but... Mm-hmm. I had no idea that at one point in time, there were fires everywhere, every day, uh, and it had to do with landlord situations. It was mostly arson. Yeah. I can't imagine that occurring. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was the 70s, and actually, we were not the only community in the city that was plagued by arson. There was arson. As I recall, there were people screaming about it um, on the south side, on the west side, Lawndale, in West Town, Humble Park. Um, but it was particularly bad in Uptown. And there were... Um, Why? We, well, I think a number of reasons. One, But the primary reason was that triggered by the initial plan and then the consequent development of Truman College, uh, which was was literally built ultimately where many people had lived before. It was sort of in the heart of Uptown, right in the center of where there were over a thousand people living. And there was a lot of resistance to it, but the most of the people who were there were poor. Um, it was a, that particular area was largely people who were either, uh, uh, from the, from, um, the South, from coal mine territory, or ex-coal miners largely, um, Appalachian whites, and a lot of people who are Native Americans. And mm. um, uh, there was, it was an, in, but that particular spot is where they lived. And um, it was horrific the way in which, this was late 60s, very early 70s, before I got there. But the stories we heard from people about how the police, I mean, the uh, fire station, which is literally, literally across the street it's from where still, many still people, where, yeah, uh, where the college was built, uh, wouldn't take half hour, an hour to respond, which, you know, I would question until later on in 1978 when we had a fire in our building, um, in our office building, which was next door to the fire, uh, the, the fire station, and it did take them a half hour to respond. Uh, it's astounding um, that, that that could have gone that, on. That people told us stories about waking up in the morning with a wrecking ball literally tearing down their front steps so they couldn't get out of the house. These are two thoughts predominantly and three flats. It was, it was, it was just a, it was a huge speculator, specula, speculative series of activities that went on by people who saw different ways in which to make money off of the fact that this area was going to be developed and these buildings were going to be gone and no one seemed to really care about the people who were living there so they could get away with it. And that happened largely through the late, late 60s and uh, it really began through the late 60s and early 70s, um, probably was very similar to the what the Young Lords had dubbed as urban removal in Lincoln Park, and um, and then and then led to one of the tools that was mm. used was arson. And um, and it was arson for profit to... To, to disperse people and get rid of it or to be done with the responsibility of the buildings so that you could sell the property. And get and insurance. Get, and get, well, you get insurance for the fire and then you'd get reimbursed for the property by, this, by the public, by the city in this case and the state because it was this oh it was the city well whoever was paying for the city college hmm. and um they were taking you know by urban 
you know, they used uh, eminent domain to take the property, but you got the people who owned it got reimbursed for but their land. But was the fire department in on the whole deal? Uh, they the didn't? fire. I, I can't speak for the issues with the fire department. I can just say that overall, the institutions, re- the city's institutions' response were um, not very good, and were at best uh, negligent. And that's one thing you but, write about. But I have to say that there was yes. a there were several groups, and I write about one of them in mm-hmm. the book uh, of of real estate speculators who own property, move people around, and in the sto- story I told you about was a group of people that we actually ended up they actually ended up being a twenty twenty story about nationally, um, and we call it was. Um, we called it the Roberts Gang, but uh, it's the story is in the book, and it talks about how, uh, in one instance, there were people who were living in in one building. Um, there was a fire there. They were moved to another building, and then there was another fire, all within about a ten day period. And it, it, people died. People were permanently um, disabled for life. It was it, 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 it was really an untenable situation. That's one thing that you said motivated you to do what you eventually did, and that has become an alderman. Another is describing, I think the thing that got to me most is a sign that would actually say, no Negro persons can rent, own property in this district except blocks inhabited entirely by Negroes. Okay, that wasn't a sign. That was an ordinance. And it was passed um, in the 50s, long before I got there. Uh, but uh, it was passed at the, um, at the uh, I believe, encouragement of the just formed um, Uptown Chicago Commission. And it was a result, there was a result of a um, black family, uh, had a, a, a man who had been a chauffeur, to someone who lived on the 4600 block of Winthrop was given his house when that in that man's will and there he was the first black person to own, and um, own property on that block and so the response was to restrict any black people from owning any property in uptown except on that block and it was a period of you know there were all sorts of covenants um, and they were they were rampant throughout is the that, country is that why Chicago has this history of being a tale of two cities well, I think the Chicago's history of a tale of two city really comes from it's it's a it's a factor of it. It comes from the the very severe segregation that existed, but also the um, poverty that went way beyond the black community. Actually, extended to to working people all over the city. Poor Is it people. still a tale of two cities that Brandon Johnson talks about? I think in so. his view, right, that it is, and that's one thing he wants to change. Yeah, and I think that one of the aspects of a tale of two cities is that some people are able to uh, easily navigate our institutions and our economic uh, our economic realities, and other people are not. And I believe that one of the things that to me was significant about this election was that Brandon Johnson brought a different view, a different vision of how to address the issues that face the city. And where I saw it was he's saying we need to include everybody and make sure that we're solving the problem from the perspective of the people who have the most serious manifestation of it. And then we can really really improve the city for everyone. And then you're able to start moving towards, I think, one city instead of a tale of two cities. Well, Lori Lightfoot said the same thing when she was running. And similar to Brandon Johnson, people didn't know Lori Lightfoot's name when she first jumped into the race. She was a bit more unknown, Brandon Johnson, a Cook County commissioner. If he was your commissioner, you might have known Mm -hmm. who he was or who he is. Uh, However, not all that well-known overall. 
or all that experienced. You supported Brandon Johnson. Did you support Lori Lightfoot? I, I did recall. not. I stayed out of the election. Okay, but this time around, you supported Brandon Johnson, correct? Mm-hmm. Why? I, I just explained why. Yeah. Um, I think the difference between the two, may I say, was that um, Brandon uh, has a view that includes a comprehensive approach to addressing issues, um, not of public safety, ver- you know, just the concept, public safety, as opposed to talking about it just as crime. Um, the, the approach to the schools and a real focus on neighborhood schools, all these things that are part of a stable community. And I think that, um, that the notion of really building stable communities and starting from the ground up and solving problems from the perspective of people who are most affected kind of eluded, uh, the former alderman, uh, the former a mayor, and it just was a different experience she had. So while she knew and understood and wanted to address some of the inequities in the city, I think the vision of how to proceed to do that is very different. And I think that his vision is one that will receive resistance because change always receives resistance, and also because it is perceived to be antagonistic to current stakeholders who are prominent, who have a prominent power. But I don't think it is, and I think he's beginning to show that people are beginning to be a little open to it, but there's going to be resistance. There always is. There's always a different power struggles, etc. I think he's strong enough to address it, but I really appreciate that he's making himself clearer and clearer and that he's inviting people to participate because that is really what's critical. He can't do it on his own and he knows it. Mm-hmm. But with support and ideas and implementation and people doing their own thing on the ground, that really, because they now feel free to do that, I think is very important. Well, Lori Lightfoot, you'd never worked with. However, it's a long list of mayors that you did. I want to talk about all of those mayors and much more. Yeah, okay. I do. When we come back on WGN and Helen Schiller, Alderman at one point in time for a long time. How many years? 24. Uh, that's a long time. 46 <laughs> Ward. Uh, the book is called Daring to Struggle, Daring to Win. Do you think that there ought to be a limit on how long an alderman can serve or a mayor? Not really. I think that there's a value to um, uh, institutional history and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the real question is the value is not – is the, the reality that you have to get elected every four years leads me to point to the fact that the real important thing to really encourage and increase is the participation of people because that's what keeps an elected official accountable is the elections and their constituents. And so I think it's really important uh, that more and more people are engaged in civic action, and we have less and less these days. So that's really the critical answer. And what I think also is that, I say this all the time, that if you want change or if you want, if you if, if there are things that are really important to you and you want to be able to see policy that responds to that, then you need to be part of creating a sea for the policymakers to swim in, to be able to give mm. them the support and and or the encouragement or some combination thereof to really ensure that the uh, movement in that policymaking is going to go in the direction that you desire. You know, we promote the guests that are going to be on the show. So I wrote it down and it was on the WGN, probably still is on the website and all that. I, I promote it in social media. And someone said, I don't know where you live, so I don't know this is true or not, but that you have a sign that <laughs> remains in, you know what I'm getting at? Yes, apparently. my granddaughter's apartment. It's not my grand- apartment. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a sign in the window that doesn't think positively of the police. Yeah. 
But you're not responsible for that. No, it's her sign. She put it up. Um, and I, you know, I think it's ironic. You know, everyone is talking so much about the Second Amendment. But what about free speech? Um, and I think that free speech is really very important. I'm, I'm never going to tell her she can't do something. Um, I do think that we have to have a lot more accountability of the police than we currently have. And I think it has to be uh, not just... Um, existing but it has to be uh constructive and it has to be uh and it has to be effective and we've never really had that for years and so that was um when harold washington was first elected it was uh that was really one of the primary issues and if you look at the election since then it's consistently been especially from especially from um lori lightfoot and in this this particular and this last election really critical uh, coming off of all the um, coming off of the Laquan McDonald cover up mm-hmm. during during uh, the end of Rahm's uh, t- term as mayor, and um, I, I think that it's a theme that, that goes all the way through. Yeah, and I would also add to that the civil unrest. Yeah, uh, or riots. Really, well, that people occurred? are now responding, and they have been responding on it since the '60s, actually. So you have these waves of responses. When Harold came into the office, who you were the, close to? Correct? Yes, I was. Yes. And the reason I ran in 1987, I had sworn off right for running again uh, after uh, previous late '70s run. Um, Harold convinced me to run to be alderman to be his 26th vote because, as you might recall, or some of your readers may, uh, there was an original when he was first elected. There was a 29-21 um, uh, city council where 29 aldermen were in opposition and tried to stop most of what he wanted to do. And then there were special elections um, that created new wards and new aldermen, and he ended up uh, as with a 25-25 split. And he came to me and he said, you can be my 20 26 vote. If I get 26 votes, I'll have 40 because there's always those people sitting on the fence. They'll come sure. over. And I couldn't not do it because I knew I could win because I was very involved in so many things in the community or I knew I had the potential to win. Why was Harold Washington so good? Uh, so let me finish what I'm going to say. Well, I think he's good for a lot of the same things that I said earlier about Brandon, but Harold had an incredible reach in the city, which was quite, you know, he just was. He knew so many people. He'd done so much stuff. He had so much experience that wasn't really recognized uh, by the establishment because, after all, he was, you know, he was just, he was an African-American politician in a time. Um, was Council Wars about power or was it? Uh, no, ra- about racism. It was about po- it was about power, but also policy. And it was, racism was used to be able to affect uh, that that dynamic. Uh, so the, did you know then that Burke and Verdoliak were? Sorry, I'll say it. Crooks. I uh, so Mark Salkin, who um, had was my ex and um, who was a uh, prolific writer and who was also an assistant press secretary for ultimately assistant press secretary for Harold. But earlier we had a news we had a magazine, Keep Strong Magazine, and then we had a newspaper called All Chicago City News, and Mark. Uh, had done a number of, of articles where he did a lot of research and he had done, he was really, and he also was doing organizing mm-hmm. at the same time. And he was doing something called the family advantage and working on utility stuff. And he came across the fact that every time that there was any kind of a progressive proposal from the perspective of the, of the, ho- of the users of utilities, especially people's gas, Burke would act like he was supportive of those concerns. And then he would, 
do something in the city council to block it and um, or to distort what it was, to undermine it. And um, and then we discovered that he was also the attorney for People's Gas. So mm-hmm. uh, Mark did a whole expose on it um, and did a bunch of articles like that. So no, I mean, so yes, I knew that. And, and, and Verdoliak, I mean, Verdoliak's brother, who had uh, might have been an ex-cop, but he des- definitely had a security company and he carried a gun, um, pulled it on some of my um, col- some of my organizing friends um, on a number of occasions, threatening them because they were making his brother look bad. So, right. yeah, I have to say yes. <laughs> so one word to describe Belandic, Burn, and Daly, each yeah. of them. A Belandic, Bland, <laughs> ineffective. A burn? C- clueless, actually. Burn. Um, uh, shooting from the hip, not really inconsistent and 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 um opportunistic and the second mayor daily um a smart politician who loved the city but had a real blind spot when he came to police accountability okay more than one word about each of those in the I book i can't help it <laughs> no that's okay that's okay daring to struggle daring to win it's a fascinating read five decades of resistance in Chicago's uptown community, but you really write about the entire city. Helen Schiller, it's so good to see you again. Nice to see you. Thank you.